Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Sierra Vista, the official podcast of the city of Sierra Vista. I'm your host, Public Information Officer Adam Curtis. It's rare that a mission statement reflects the true heart of an organization, but Sierra Vista Fire and Medical Services comes pretty close with its mission statement, likely because it was written by the department's firefighters. It reads, we, the members of Sierra Vista Fire and Medical Services, will passionately serve our community by being helpful and kind always. Day or night, when Sierra Vista Fire and Medical Crews respond to help you, they will take great, great care that you get the attention you need. That could be emergency treatment and transportation, or it could just be a calming voice and presence at a time when you need it most. They are there for our community 24-7 and show up with a caring attitude always, no matter what the day has been like for them. Today, we will speak with Sierra Vista Fire Chief Brian Jones, who has spent about 25 years with the department and in many ways embodies that persistent passion for service, although he would likely say he just hopes to live up to it. We'll talk about what makes the department an extraordinary place to work, what they look for in new recruits, how new dispatch software will improve our area's medical response, how COVID-19 has impacted his department's operations, and what hopes he has for the future of the department. Hi, Chief. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. Yeah, it's good to see you today. Um, so I hope I got that right. You've been with the department about a quarter century or something like that? Well, when you put it that way, yeah, I have. I've been full-time for 22 years, and prior to that, I was a reserve. We used to have reserve firefighters, and so it's been about 25 years. That's awesome. So I imagine you held a variety of ranks if you worked your way up from reserve. Uh, what was that process kind of like for you? Yeah, the reserve process was uh, you would apply, be hired, and when the fire department got a call, at that point, the reserve would then come into the station. Okay. And then they would run uh, extra calls that happened after that. You know, then I became a firefighter, and then I went to paramedic school, became a paramedic, firefighter paramedic, and then I uh, I jumped over the engineer position because I really am not that big on driving the big fire trucks. Uh, oh, wow. You're probably in the minority there, Yeah, I, I think imagine. I probably <laughs> am. And I have driven them, but it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. You know, then I uh, became a captain, and then I went on to be the bata a battalion chief, a deputy chief, and here I am as a fire chief. And did you always know you were interested in this profession, or is it something you kind of came to later in life? Or? No, I think it was something I came to later in life. When I was going to the U of A, I saw an ad in the paper for a reserve firefighter for rural metro. And I thought, man, I'm, uh, I'm a team, team sport kind of guy. I see You see the firefighters out there working together, and I thought, mm -hmm. that's something I'd like to do. And went to an academy and got hired on uh, as a reserve for rural metro while I was going to U of A, and I was stuck. I mean, I, I couldn't have been in a better position. Awesome. And then, yeah, what was it like coming over to Sierra Vista and what has kind of kept you in that culture uh, working with that department? Well, I, I grew up in Sierra Vista. This is my home. Uh, my dad's retired military. We've been here since 1976. Mm -hmm. My parents are still here. My brother's here. And this is the place I wanted to raise my family. Mm -hmm. uh, getting on with Sierra Vista Fire, it's a smaller smaller department where you're, you're able to do more. Uh, you have to do more based on our resources and I just love this community. I love working for the city. Our fire department is a top notch. I would put our fire department up against anybody in the state and probably in the nation for that matter. Uh, we are very uh, well-oiled machine trained, efficient, effective, and uh, we just do a really good job. Absolutely. Um, and so I assume you think it's a great place to work, obviously. Um, what, do you, what do you look for in, in recruits uh, in the hiring process? Um, do you kind of have a philosophy when you approach that? I talked to Chief York about this, interviewing him for, for an article, um, and I remember him telling me something that kind of stuck with me, is that he would look to hire the heart and train the hands. 
Um, could you speak to kind of what that means and whether or not that kind of speaks to how you approach things? No, I, I approach it the same way as Chief York did. You know, if you can hire somebody who has a servant's heart, mm -hmm. uh, you can train them to do anything. And that's what we do at Service to Fire Medical. We look for people who have that servant's heart, who are looking to be community-based and want to help their community. And the way we go about doing that is we recruit. And we're recruiting those people from locally. From We get, we get applicants from all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, the hard part about that is we want people to be here. We mm -hmm. want people to live here. Right. And commuting is just a hard thing sometimes. So when we recruit, we uh, let them know what our process is. Let them know about our organization. They come to a ride along with us and just see if they're a proper fit for us. Mm -hmm. I imagine your department is a really good one for folks like in the more rural areas that are kind of looking to take the next leap um, and get some more training and a little more experience at a busier department. Uh, do you get a lot of folks looking for that kind of opportunity? We absolutely do. We get yeah. uh, smaller departments. We're the, we're the big brother in the county, uh -huh. really. And we are a very busy fire department for the size of the community. We run over 8,000 calls a year, wow. which, is, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. And we do have those people who come here, and I hate to use it, use service as a stepping stone mm -hmm. to get to bigger organizations. Mm -hmm. But what's funny about that is we have a lot of people who come here and then leave and wish they hadn't left oh. <laughs> uh, because uh, we are a tight-knit tight -knit community within the organization, mm -hmm. and we, we really enjoy working together, and our families are together. Uh, I mean, I've, I've probably spent 50% of my time at the fire station as opposed to home, so I really have two families, mm -hmm. and that's important. And I, I know everybody on our org, in our organization. A bigger organization, the fire chief probably doesn't know the new people. Right, right. That's true. Um, and you said 8,000 calls. Um, something a lot of people maybe still don't realize um, is you're, you're called the fire chief. You're not called the medical chief. We still think of it as the fire department, not the medical department. Uh, but what kind of ratio is that between uh, fire calls versus medical calls? Well, we probably run, and we're not alone in this, mm -hmm. probably 94% of our calls are medical. Right, yeah. And and with that, that's why we changed our name mm -hmm. not so long ago from service to fire department to service to fire and medical to mm -hmm. really depict what we are doing on a daily basis. Right. And we require our folks to be medically trained. Mm -hmm. You're either an EMT or a paramedic. And we are also very fortunate within our city limits that we have probably about 70% of our employees are paramedics. So when you get a, when you have an emergency call, there's multiple paramedics on scene uh, in place to mitigate your situation. That's awesome. Um, and so it, for folks interested in applying, um, I know you're going to, I think, uh, open up a position or, or two again pretty soon. Uh, what positions are going to be opened up next? Yeah, we currently probably sometime this week we'll have a position open for firefighter, EMT, firefighter, paramedic. By the end of the year, we're probably going to have three positions available Okay, cool. with some retirements taking place. Gotcha. And uh, folks can always uh, check the website for job postings, such as www.servicetoaz.gov. Um, but you can also reach out directly to the fire department at Fire Station 3, and that's at 520-417-4400. Or you can email at svfmsjobs at sierravistaaz.gov. So that was SV, like Sierra Vista, and then FMSjobs. Um, so breaking into a little bit of a new topic, um, there's kind of some exciting news coming uh, to the area soon uh, through CECOM, our regional uh, dispatching center. Um, I know I don't know exactly the timeline, so you can kind of help me out there, but we're, we're basically installing a new uh, dispatch software that is going to launch on the medical side, and it's going to kind of dramatically change uh, how our dispatchers are able to uh, 
basically the speed they're, they're able to dispatch out calls and also the nature of how they can interact with, with the folks in need of help. Um, so talk a little bit about what that is and um, kind of what the public can expect. Yeah, September 15th is our go live date for EMD emergency medical dispatching. Currently, 911 operators depend on rote memory for interrogating 911 callers, gathering basic information about the emergency, then dispatching units based on what they feel the nature code should be, and then disconnecting from the caller with nothing further. As you can imagine, the outcome of this process can vary greatly between dispatchers. When EMD comes online, call-taking software will standardize the interrogation of the 911 caller with simple yes-no questions, and the software, within seconds, determines the correct nature code and prioritizes the call. Dispatching units very early for high-priority calls or a little later in the 911 call for less acute situations as more information is gathered. For critical medical calls, after the units are dispatched, the 911 operator will remain on the call and provide pre-arrival instructions to the caller. In essence, creating a zero-minute response time. Once EMS arrives on scene, the 911 caller is disconnected. In contrast, for a cardiac arrest call today, the operator gets the age of the patient and address, dispatches the call, and hangs up. With EMD, this will still occur, but the operator remains on the line and tells the caller exactly how to do CPR over the phone until EMS arrives. Zero-minute response time is huge. Currently, we're, we're, we try to get to locations within four to six minutes. Okay. Uh, in a medical call, they call uh, time is tissue. In mm -hmm. a fire, we want to get to a fire in that amount of time to keep that fire from uh, getting out of its incipient phase. Mm -hmm. If we have the ability to give pre-arrival instructions, uh, treatment in, is starting right now. Right, right. And the ability to do that is going to be a game changer for us. You know, so let's say uh, in a cardiac arrest today, mm -hmm. they understand that someone's unconscious, unresponsive, and our dispatchers, that's all they really can say. Mm -hmm. You know, when with EMD, the operator remains on the line and tells the caller exactly how to do CPR over the phone until EMS arrives. Yeah. That's huge. That is that's huge. huge. Yeah. You have somebody, uh, for instance, somebody's lying on a bed. You know, and you're doing CPR on a bed because you're trained to do CPR, but that's an ineffective way to do CPR because if they're on a bed, they're on a mattress and they're bouncing. All right. Yeah. So uh, the, the dispatcher will be able to move them to a hard surface, get them on the ground, and then be able to instruct them on how to do CPR. Mm -hmm. It really is a game changer for us. Yeah. And one of the reasons we can't do that right now is there are liability issues, I guess. If Absolutely. You, yeah. So yeah. by going through this um, company that kind of provides this software, um, I guess – by following this kind of um, you know pre-planned list of questions based on the situation, um, it provides us kind of coverage from those kind of liability situations and lets us do more basically. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It's a vetted system mm -hmm. that uh, has medical direction. A physician, one of our ER doctors, is our medical control. Okay. Uh, and the company we have we're going with hasn't had an issue in over forty plus years of doing this. Wow. So it's it's. Like I said, it is a game changer for us. And also the ability for dispatchers to distinguish calls from a really a priority call to something that's, you know, everybody calls 911, it's a priority. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we need to have a different response for a stub toe as opposed to somebody who's unconscious, unresponsive. Absolutely. And the dispatchers will be able to distinguish and allow us to go without lights and sirens because uh, we don't like to do that because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we have the ability to distinguish mm -hmm. and run without lights and sirens to the location, it's just safer for everybody. Absolutely. That's really exciting. And I guess this is this is separate from the, the dispatch software, um, but I understand we're also working on a text 
text to 911 uh, functionality. And is that just for Sierra Vista? Is that countywide? Do you know? Like, I, I believe it's countywide, okay. and it is yeah. the process of being implemented as well. And text to 911 is a huge thing as well for three very good reasons. You know, mm -hmm. during a major weather event, mm -hmm. sometimes phone lines are just inundated, but sometimes texts get through. Mm -hmm. If you have a hearing or speech impaired person and they don't have the ability to talk or communicate, having the text is, is really important for them to, in order to report emergencies. And then mm -hmm. finally, there are situations where uh, people sometimes get where they don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're in a dangerous situation. If they have the ability to text and say, hey, I'm in a, in a bad situation here and right. I need help. Right. Uh, and that, that, that's part of text 911. So huge for our community as well yeah absolutely so i guess stay tuned on more news news about that but that is being worked on as well and is, is definitely very exciting um so switching gears again um i think just about everyone has been impacted by COVID 19 in one way or another but i imagine people are probably curious how that kind of affects you know medical personnel and you guys are medical personnel um if 93 95 percent of your calls are medical um yet how has that impacted your department well it's had a huge impact on yeah. us from day-to-day -day operations to how we come into the station how do we go home uh, we have our stations are pretty much on lockdown, mm -hmm. uh, meaning only essential personnel are in, and we're even having people who aren't on. We don't want people to come into the station, right? Uh, even off duty as well, because a lot of our personnel come off duty to work out and all that. We're, we're we put a kibosh to that right now, mm -hmm. and what we are doing for the people who are coming on duty is at zero eight hundred we do temperature checks mm -hmm. and we do a questionnaire, and then at eight o'clock at night we do the same thing, and we're really uh, advocating for our personnel. If you are not feeling well, do not not come to work right uh, we can't afford to have some of our personnel get sick based on our resources we need to have everybody there mm -hmm. also it, it really it really forced us to look at the way we operate well as well for a critical call mm -hmm. and some of the things that our dispatch has helped us with right off the bat is just asking some questions that might cue us in very basic questions mm -hmm. on what kind of situation we may be going into mm -hmm. and where we are we, we, where we are a group on a critical call, we have, we have five people going to that call because we need those resources. Right. Uh, instead of everybody going in right now and doing that, now we're, we're triaging ourselves as we're getting there mm -hmm. and maybe sending one or two people in mm -hmm. and allowing minimal contact as we possibly can for those potential patients that pre could be COVID positive right. and rotating our personnel more often mm -hmm. in order to lessen the impact on everybody. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that uh, we're using less PPE, which is a short we we're in shortage of, mm -hmm. and uh, really allowing some of our, our people to really get in-depth on patient assessments more so than they have in the past. That's so it's really been beneficial to us in that respect. That's kind of cool. Um, so... Do, do most folks that are having COVID-19 symptoms, and they may be calling for a different reason. I mean, they may have broken a leg or done something completely unrelated. Um, are they definitely generally pretty good at self-reporting that? Should people be aware that, you know, if you think you might even have it, is that something you should mention uh, to the dispatcher? I think it is something you should mention to the dispatcher, but also we are taking proper precautions. Yeah. Uh, we are using our PPE the best way we can and the most effective way we can, uh, but I'm not going to put my personnel at harm's 
in harm's way. So mm -hmm. if there's any suspicion that there potentially could be a cause, we're dressing up. We're wearing, we're wearing gloves. We're wearing goggles. We're wearing mm -hmm. gowns. We have everything we can do in order to try to mitigate the situation from our personnel to be getting sick. And all, it also protects the patient as well. That's right. Uh, yeah. have, having multiple people go in, uh, we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times now we're, we're seeing that if we had just have a sick person, they can walk out to us. You know, if they have the ability to come out to us, now we're all outside in mm -hmm. fresh air mm -hmm. and we're not confined to a little room in a house. Mm -hmm. And it really makes for a more workable environment for everybody involved. That's kind of interesting. Um, so we, we talked, or I, I, I introduced uh, the segment, talked about your mission statement a little bit. Um, and we're, we're talking about, you know, how, how you respond on calls and, and learn new things and, and ways you've adapted. But um, something that the culture of your department that I've always known it for um, is kind of when folks go out on calls, um, they don't just do the minimum and move on. It really seems like they kind of assess the situation, try to figure out what other factors may be causing that person's stress and really help them through whatever they're going through. Um, can you maybe kind of just describe your philosophy when it comes to customer service? And also maybe highlight an example, if you can think of one, of, of someone going a little bit above and beyond uh, on a call. Yeah, no, I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about this is my community. Mm -hmm. This is our community. This is our city's fire department. And we take a lot of ownership in that. And when we go out and we train uh, customer service, internal, external customer service is what we're about. Mm -hmm. People call us on their worst day possible. Right. And it's, uh, it's a paramount for us to treat them with respect and the dignity, regardless of what they're calling us for, because I would expect that to somebody to come to my house. Mm -hmm. And why we do that is just the, the philosophy that we go by, as you said, and it, it, it permeates a positive attitude, not on, not only on calls, but when we're in the fire station as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, there are countless numbers I get calls every week from people that we've uh, had the the pleasure of running on calls at their house and they say man I didn't know the fire department did that for example we have we have an elderly population here in Sierra Vista and uh, sometimes elderly people not only elderly people a lot of people fall mm -hmm. you know and we'll go to the house pick them up transport them if we need to but while we're there, we also kind of evaluate what's going on in their house. Right. Yeah. If you have a throw rug that's mm -hmm. not secured to the floor, mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can go about getting a, a rail on your wall to help you walk. Uh, maybe you had a, an accident or you uh, something happened, you spilled something. Our, our, our personnel are those that aren't going to leave it there. Mm -hmm. They're going to clean up. I got a call just last week from an elderly female. She had fallen and was a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, really. And our personnel stayed on scene, and one of our female firefighters showered the lady, got her cleaned up. The other guy, I think, made her some tea. <laughs> and, I mean, that, that's, that personifies what we do. And it's not out of the ordinary. It's the ordinary thing that we do on calls. Yeah. Why, why does that matter? I guess, why is that worth doing? I think it's worth doing because, as I said, I would expect that for somebody treating my family, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it goes a long way in building trust and mm -hmm. respect for our organization and our people, as well as the city that we work for. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're a, a small part of a big organization, mm -hmm. and we represent the city every day. Not yeah. only the fire department, but I represent the city of Sierra Vista, and yeah. my personnel do that too, and we're proud to do it. 
That's awesome. Um, so as chief, um, obviously you're a leader in the department now, um, and you have to set an example, so to speak. But um, talk a little bit about your approach to leadership. Um, I, I think I know a bit about it, and, and you really are someone who shows up um, with the same attitude every day, and a good attitude every day, not a bad attitude. Um, and I imagine some days you don't feel like it, maybe. But um, kind of talk about your approach to leadership and kind of you know what example you try to set in the department. Yeah, now I get asked that question a lot, and I'm not somebody who is, uh, the way I lead is I lead by choice, uh, and I lead by being positive. I wake up every morning and I choose to be positive, and I've done that for a long time prior to being chief, and I found that by doing that, uh, people seem to gravitate towards positivity. You know, it's easy to get up in the morning and think about how bad everything is. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy that I woke up. I got up this morning, 4.30, looked outside. I took a picture of the sunrise. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I live in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I get to see this every morning. And I have a responsibility to my personnel. If I come into work and am angry and bitter and it just, it just wouldn't be a, a place I would want to work. Right. And I think we've all worked for bosses who have been that way. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just makes the work environment not a so happy place to be. Right. I, I go into work relatively early, get a lot of work done before, before 8 o'clock. And mm -hmm. I do that because it's my job as fire chief to get around and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And because... I, I pined for the days when I was, was on a fire truck because it was so much fun being able to go out in public and help in that way. Mm -hmm. I have a different role now. Mm -hmm. And it's different now than it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where our, our guys and gals are doing things differently. And I need to understand what they're doing. And if I'm going around to the fire stations and talking to the staff and I'm negative, how does that, how does that, how does that show? You know, so I choose not to do that. And I, I believe it, it has made a positive impact on our culture mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not going to be negative. And you're right. I, I, I've actually got called on a couple times by a couple people. There is no way that you are happy all the time. You know, you're absolutely right. There are days that I have bad days, but I choose not to bring those up because I have a responsibility mm -hmm. uh, to lead this organization and lead our people the best possible way I can. And by being positive, it just makes it easier for me. Absolutely. I think that's a bit of advice we could all use right now because uh, due to COVID-19 and the national news, it just feels like we get weighed down by negativity, by anger, by all these issues that just kind of stir us up or whatever. Um, do you find it hard during this climate to, to get yourself up in the morning and really maintain that attitude? No, I, I, do, I, do, I don't find it hard, but I find it different. Mm -hmm. I find it different. You know, in the fire service, I think part of the thing that brings people to the fire service is everything, every day is different. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're going to get into. And everything is different now. COVID is different. And although our, our personnel see a myriad of things on a daily basis, there's been a palpable difference in the atmosphere around our personnel during COVID because just because of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And uh, how we navigate that is by talking, mm -hmm. talking about it and ensuring that we're putting all the measures in place in order to maintain the safety and security of my personnel. Mm -hmm. I want them to be, I want them to know it's okay mm -hmm. uh, to be leery but understanding that we're putting all the, all the measures in place in order to make them safe at work. Right. Yeah, that communication must be key, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so 
as chief of the department, um, we've kind of talked about probably a lot of things you, you like about it and would like to see continue. Um, but is there anything you would like to create or place a greater emphasis on uh, during your tenure or anything you're working on in particular that you'd like to highlight? Well, one thing we're really working on now is succession planning. Mm -hmm. You know, within the next uh, five, seven, eight years, we're going to have a huge turnover at the top and we're mm -hmm. getting uh, younger. Mm -hmm. So mentorship, coaching is really critical for our personnel to understand that they need it. Mm -hmm. We want to give it uh, because there's going to be people sitting, there's going to be somebody else sitting in my position. And it, it's, it's hard as a firefighter to look five years down the road. Right. So we're putting measures in place where we're, like I said, we're coaching and saying, hey, what are your goals? And how can we help you get there? And, and putting, putting our best foot forward and forcing people to put their feet forward mm -hmm. and set some goals and mentoring and coaching them and leading them in a way that I, would, that I was led. Mm -hmm. You know, I was very fortunate to have some huge mentors and who have pushed me uh, when I didn't want to be pushed. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you got to take that jump in order to uh, get where you want to go eventually. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and as you look to the organization in the future and kind of plan, plan, you know, hopefully getting those succession plans in place so, so that culture can be sustained and there isn't that kind of interruption. Um, what, what is something that you really hope doesn't change, that, that you hope kind of continues to define the department um, for decades to come even? I think the drive for excellence. We have a wonderful group of men and women who every day are looking at ways to better serve our community. By staying relevant with medical devices, by uh, by having new ways to fight fire. Mm -hmm. Fifteen years ago, if there was a fire and you showed up on scene, and the fire was blowing out the front window, we would go in the front door, mm -hmm. because the the perception was that you were able to push fire. Mm -hmm. Well, studies have been shown that, that that that's not the case. So what we do now, which is just smarter is we would arrive on that same scene, we would pull a hose, and we would spray water into the window. Mm -hmm. And what that does is resets the temperature of the house so it's not as hot as it would be, and it, it creates a better survivability. Mm -hmm. So we're working smarter, uh, not harder, and, and we're training, and we train. We go back to 93% of our calls are medical, 94%. So we train on those low-frequency, high-risk calls. We have to train on them all the time right. uh, because we are very proficient at running medical calls. Mm -hmm. uh, but fire calls, we are not. So uh, we, we, I think we had over 12,000 hours of training last year on oh. fire stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's just the amount of that we were able to when, – when our personnel met their max, it stops. So I would actually say we probably had fifteen or 16,000 hours. Wow. So we need to stay relevant with the times. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we are – okay with change. Mm -hmm. Change is hard. <laughs> change is hard. And I, I am one who likes to change. I like to change because it puts me, it makes me uncomfortable too. Mm -hmm. But being uncomfortable is good because it keeps you relevant. Mm -hmm. So that's what I hope. I hope we, I hope we continue to have the drive and passion and dedication. And I look to one of our senior members, Paul Semino. Mm -hmm. He's our fire marshal, our PIO. He's been with the city for over 35 years. Wow. <laughs> and he still comes to work every day with that enthusiasm that I recognized 25 years ago. Yeah. And our guys, I hope they, they see that. 
and understand how how much fun uh, a career like this can be mm-hmm. and how beneficial you can be to your community. Absolutely. Well, I, well, I know we all appreciate it too. Um, having gotten to work with you guys over the years, um, there are so many good people in the fire department and it really just, it makes you feel safer and it makes you feel good to know that they're here and they really care about us. And that really comes through in the job you guys do. So thank you so much for joining us today. And it's been wonderful talking to you, Brian. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Let's Talk Sierra Vista. Thanks to everyone who has emailed us so far. Several folks have asked whether the podcast will be available on their podcast app of choice. And as of today, Let's Talk Sierra Vista is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. We also expect to be on Spotify shortly after this episode is published. Remember, you can always email us at pod, P-O-D, at sierravistaaz.gov. That's pod at sierravistaaz.gov to share your questions, comments, or suggestions. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Take care, everybody.